Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. If you would open your Bibles to John chapter 15 this morning. John chapter 15, and then we're going to go back to chapter 13. Chapters 13 through 15, actually through chapter 17, record John's, John's record of Jesus' last words to his disciples the night before he was to be taken to be crucified. These are important words. These are important teachings. We've been following the master's plan of disciple making. We saw that initially there was that come and see time, that come and see phase, about four months where he invited those curious disciples to come and see what he was doing. And then a time when he said, if you're interested, you can come and follow me. And they came and he trained them during that time for about 10 months. And then his disciples made this decision that they were ready to follow him and be established in the faith. And we talked about that come and be with me phase where about 20 months leading up to this last night, Jesus transformed them and equipped them and began to share ministry with them. And so this last phase is remain in me. That's where he leaves his disciples. That's where he says, okay, this is up to you guys now. Think about the incredible risk that Jesus risked the salvation of the world being communicated through these 12 and then 11 that he trained. Let's look at the statement in chapter 15, verse 4, where Jesus says, remain in me, And I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Your translation may say abide. It means to be at home. It means to stay there. So before Jesus gives that teaching in chapter 15 that we'll be looking at next time, I want us to go back to chapter 13 where he begins this time of of intense instruction with his disciples. Verse 13, chapter 1, as he develops, shows him the importance of humility and development of character. Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now by the time of supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. And Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his robe, took a towel, and tied it around his waist. That robe that, for Jesus, most likely someone had given him a, a robe that was one piece that that really was a symbol of his honor, he laid that aside and picked up a towel which was the, basically the uniform of a servant. The Bible says next he poured into a water, ba- a water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. I want you to get the picture there mentally, what's going on. Just get a picture of Jesus Hours from being taken captive to go to the cross, kneeling, 
and washing his disciples' feet. He came to Simon Peter as he went around washing their feet. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Literally, he says, Lord, you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't understand now, but afterward you will know. You will never wash my feet ever, Peter said. Boy, Peter just said it, didn't he? He just opened his mouth and, and, and let it fly. He didn't even think about it. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. We'll talk about this in a minute, but Jesus is saying, Peter, if you don't allow me to, to do this, if you don't understand this act of, of servanthood, you're not going to understand what it means to be a servant and have fellowship with me. So Simon Peter, verse 9, said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. In other words, Lord, if, if that's what it's going to take to have fellowship with you, just wash me all over. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. Now, most likely, these disciples, there was no bath there, but they had bathed earlier, and as they walked to this place of supper, the custom would be that a servant, you'd have dusty, dirty feet, a servant would do that. And Jesus saying, you're clean except for your feet, but he's given them a picture more than just literally cleaning your feet, Peter, literally more than just being cleansed by, by being washed, but it's spiritually to be cleansed. And Peter, for you to have fellowship with me, you're going to need ultimately to know that I've cleansed you completely some have said that implication here for him to come and, and have to have his feet clean is a picture of us coming daily to the Lord and saying, Lord, you've cleansed me from head to toe, but every day I need to be in your presence. I need to be fellowshipping with you. He knew he would betray him. That is why he said, you are not all clean. So he knew Judas was about to betray him. By the way, Peter also denied the Lord, didn't he? Verse 12, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, this is well said, for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I bet they wish he'd said, wash my feet. They'd been right there for that, wouldn't they? But he said, I want you to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done for you. We're going to look at just some simple statements about the disciples this morning and make application to us because we are his followers, we are his disciples sitting here today. One writer said, in these last moments, Jesus puts the finishing touches on his education for the disciples. He's, he's walked with them. They've walked with him. They've seen him heal the sick, raise the dead, walk on water, calm the storm, cast out demons. They've been a part of that. They've even been commissioned. Remember where he, he sent them out to share, and they were given power and authority, and they've been a part of that. And now to put the finishing touches on all of that on-the-job training, he gives this unmistakable picture of the life they're going to be called to. It's a life of servanthood. It's a life of humility. I think I have three points this morning. Is that right? Is that right? Okay. You want those three? Number one, Jesus confronts his disciples with the reality of their assignment. Jesus confronts his disciples with the reality of their assignment. Look at verse one. 
Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus is letting them know, guys, I've been talking about it for months. I've been telling you that I'm going to give my life as a ransom for you. I've been telling you this is the way it's going to be. Guys, it's about to happen tonight. Get ready. This is, this is decision time. The reality is that Jesus says to them, I'm about to be crucified. I'm about to be taken and whipped, beaten, and executed. And then, guys, your assignment is to take it from there. See, he had to die. That's sobering news, isn't it? He, he had to give his life. This, this reality that was finally being impressed upon them harder than ever before was that he had to die. He couldn't just live for them. He couldn't just live a good life and be our example. The Bible said that there needed to be a perfect sacrifice for sin. And Jesus was that perfect sacrifice. He came so that he might seek and save those who were lost, the Bible says. His assignment was to give his life a ransom for many. He's the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Then the sobering truth for these guys was this. Not just that you're going to have this weighty assignment to go out and be servants, but Jesus has to die for this all to come together. It's a part of the Father's plan. It ought to impress upon us the reality that our sin was so bad that the creator of the universe had to give his only son to die to pay the price for that sin. It should give you a different understanding of sin. Sin isn't just something that might mess up your life or mess up somebody else's life. Sin is something that was the reason that Jesus had to come and die. Hell is real. Sin is real. Because of that, the cross needed to happen. I love the last part of 1 Corinthians. Death is swallowed up in victory. That, that, that statement of victory that because of what Christ has done at the cross, death has been defeated. Sin has been defeated. Jesus confronts them with the reality of that assignment. I don't know about you, but if I'd been sitting in that room and Jesus was demonstrating not only servanthood to me, but letting me know that he's about to die for me. I'd be broken. And then after I was broken, I think the fear would set in. What next? By the way, that's exactly what happened. Because you know what happened at the cross? Where were the disciples? They scattered. Like cockroaches when you turn the light on. Y'all ever done that? Now, that's in West Texas, in Houston. I don't know about here. But I can remember getting up in the middle of the night in my apartment and turning on the light. And, you know, I, we sprayed for bugs, but they were there. They'd hide. That's what the disciples did. They ran because they were about to be completely on their own. Try to think of a, of a picture for me beyond this that would help me understand where these disciples were and, and, and the reality, the weight of this assignment. I, I thought about when I was in Houston at an International Mission Board commissioning service. If you've never been to a commissioning service, if there's ever one anywhere nearby, you need to go to one. What that is is that's where people who've been called to the full-time mission field come and, 
and they're set apart and the congregation acknowledges and they stand up one by one and share their story about how God called them and, and where God is sending them and as the challenge is given to them, the reality sinks in that a lot of those young people standing on the stage are going to be going into harm's way, going into countries where the gospel is not welcome, going into hostile places. And as I sat there at the last commissioning service I was in, I just, I just thought, I wonder which of those won't be here in another five years because their life was taken. And one by one, they said, you know what? God's called us, and we're going no matter what. Like That's the weight of what Jesus was trying to say to them. Guys, I've set you apart. I've called you. I've commissioned you. I've given you this assignment. Now you need to go. He confronts them with the reality of that assignment. He confronts us with that too. Whenever you think of the mandate, and we talk about Acts 1-8 all the time, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. We talk about Matthew chapter 28, that we're to go make disciples uh, to those uh, of all nations. We talk about the, the commission. Can you bring the commission back to the reality of the cross? That's where it starts. Because Jesus loved you, he gave his life for you. He died on the cross for you. And that mandate is that you take that to others because Jesus loved them and died for them too. Let that one sink in. He confronts us with that reality too. There is no greater assignment than to represent the King of Kings. As the choir sang, this is how it feels to be free. I thought about, look at that bunch of former sinners. By the way, they're saints who sin, but their, their identities changed. But how God has changed their life. How God has changed our life because of the cross. Number two, Jesus calls his disciples to demonstrate love to others through service. He called these guys to demonstrate love to others through service. Look at verse 12. When Jesus washed their feet and put on his, he put on his robe, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, this is well for I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. It's interesting that when it came time to wash feet, which was the custom of the day, none of the disciples thought about doing that. I'm sure they might have been looking around saying, where's the servant? Some have said since this was such a secret meeting, there was no servant present, not even in the house. We know there wasn't in the room at the time. None of the disciples thought about that. Maybe when they saw him washing feet, they thought maybe the next thing he's going to say is, now, now you guys know how to do this, now wash my feet. But he didn't. He said, wash one another's feet. By the way, they, right leading up to this, were having that battle. Who's going to be the greatest? Isn't that interesting? These guys are fighting about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's going to be me, Lord. It's going to be me, Lord. Who is it? Who's going to be the greatest? And Jesus is all about who's going to be the least. They didn't get it. By the way, some of us haven't gotten it either. Gene Wilkes said that these guys had a head table mentality. Who's going to sit at the head table? Who's going to be up front? Who's going to be up there to be recognized? He lays aside this robe of honor takes on this towel of a servant and shows them how it is to serve one another. 
Philippians chapter 2, we've looked at that repeatedly. Well, let's look there again, okay? I don't know that we have that for you, but Philippians chapter 2. In verse 5, some translations say, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. This translation says, make your attitude that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave, taking on the likeness of men. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's Jesus being a servant. That's Jesus emptying himself of all glory and giving his life for us. It's interesting that Peter rejected that. Back in verse 6, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? In other words, I don't want you to wash my feet, Lord. Some have said that rejecting that act of Jesus was basically rejecting Jesus' approach to ministry. To say, Lord, I don't want you washing my feet because that's, that's, that's not right. Some of them would say, Lord, we're supposed to wash one another's feet. We're not into that. I know these guys. They have smelly, stinky feet. They're like teenage boys. Can you imagine? Jesus says, I still want you to wash their feet. I want you to serve one another. Brennan Manning says, this is a shocking reversal of our culture's priorities and values. Is it not? This is an upside-down view of what it means to lead people. By the way, I think the world's got it upside-down. This is the right-side-up view. This is the biblical view to put others before yourself. Richard Foster says, as the cross is a sign of submission, so the towel is the sign of service. Take on the towel and serve. Folks, Jesus calls us to serve one another. The more I think about this, the more I'm blown away by the fact that this is the last thing he did. As he got to the place of the Last Supper to to institute that, he, he begins with this act of servanthood and humility because he wants us to get it. He wants these guys to get it. That serving the Lord means serving others. It means to put others before yourself. It means that you're no longer the center of the universe. By the way, that's where some people struggle with coming to Christ because they've been told that the world revolves around them. I shudder when we expect these kids that we tell them, even though they didn't win, that they won, and they get a trophy for just showing up, and then they get to be teenagers and we tell them no matter what they do, they're, and I'm all for affirming and calling them winners, but I'm concerned that the culture gets to the place where our, our people are going to feel like it, the world does revolve around them. And then we say, would you lay down your life and trust Christ as your Savior? And they would say, why? 
They won't say it out loud, but in essence, they're saying, well, let him orbit around me. I'll fit him into my schedule. We're called to serve, to demonstrate that through service. You know, being here 19 years, I was doing the math sitting over there. I said I want to be here another 19 years. I'll be an old geezer. (laughs) Hopefully somebody else will be preaching, but I'd love to sit here and listen. I don't know, lots of guys preach into their 80s, right? I could could do that, I guess. One One of the perks of growing old has been I've finally been able to say, let me send somebody else to children's camp. Let me send somebody else to youth camp, to student camp. Man, I've slept on a lot of hard bunks. For most of my ministry, I went to camp with the kids and everything that goes with that. If you've never been in a dormitory with junior high boys, you have no idea. Man. Cleaning out their toilet. Pulling their trash out of the urinal because they thought that was the best place to throw a candy bar wrapper. Picking up their dirty, smelly, smelly clothes. Why do we do all that? Why, why do people go to camp with kids? To serve them. To, to represent this attitude. I tell you what, if you've never been to camp as a sponsor, um, it's an experience. Our people that take vacation time and take, take time away to go and hang out with kids, that's a sacrifice. That's serving. And you know what? I probably in 25 years, I get 20 years of doing that, there may have been five or maybe 10 kids that came to me afterwards and said, thanks for going to camp with me. I wasn't looking for that. It would have, it would have been good. It always, it always is good. But you know what? Those kids, they're not there to tell you thank you. You just go anyway. There's a picture for you. That's what it means to serve. To say, I'm going to take my time, my energy, my schedule. I'm just going to put it on hold and serve you. Jimmy Carter, after he was president, got involved. He may have been involved before, I don't know, but very active in Habitat for Humanity. And he said when he goes into those those neighborhoods in L.A. and Chicago where it's very dangerous, where the gangs are there and there's gunshots in there. It's the poorest of the poor and they're trying to get housing. This is what Carter says. He, he goes back to John chapter 13. And he said, this kind of image of Jesus washing the disciples' feet is profoundly important to me as I try in my own way to follow Jesus' example. The awareness that my God walked this way before me makes it possible to sustain such an effort. What an example. And when you're called to serve someone, or maybe you volunteer and you're not called to serve someone, maybe the Lord just impresses upon your heart to do that. Let this be your model. Let this be your motivation. Jesus said, as I served you, now you serve one another. Now the hard part, number three. I saved the best for last. Jesus challenges his disciples to serve everyone, even those who hurt us. Jesus challenges us 
like he challenged his disciples to serve everyone, even those who hurt us. Look at verse 2. By the time of the supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon, uh, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. He had already sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He was already committed to betray Jesus. Yet, as Jesus goes around the room, there's debate about this, but I believe Judas was one of the disciples at that point, and that Jesus even washed his feet. We know he washed Peter's feet, and Peter was going to deny him, right? Three times. Part of what Jesus is saying is, there are going to be some jerks. There are going to be some people in your life that rub you the wrong way that you don't like, that offend you, that you can't handle. Serve them anyway. Didn't he say, you do this? If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, Judas' feet, Peter's feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet? Listen, Jesus knows what we've done. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we will do. And he still loved us enough to die on the cross for us. That gets me every time I think about it. He knew every mess up that I was going to pull. He knew every time I would disobey him. He knows every time in the future where I'm going to mess up. But he still loved me enough to give his life on the cross for me. And he loves you the same way. He says to Peter, Peter, I know you're going to mess up. Judas, I know you're going to deny me. But I'm going to serve you. I'm going to serve you. We've said it before, but I'll say it again. To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with saints we know, well, that's another story. We shout and say, hallelujah, it's going to be great to be in heaven and have this great rejoicing with all these folks in the family of God. And Jesus says, you know what, that is going to be good, but why don't you just live with them right now? Why don't you rub shoulders with these folks that aren't easy to rub shoulders with? Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, bear, well, I want us to turn there. I want you to see it, not just hear it. Colossians chapter 3. Verse 13. Well, I'm gonna, let's start with verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy in love, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. How did the Lord forgive us as far as the east is from the west? He's taken our sins and put them away. Grace enters into our relationships with one another to the extent that we understand God's grace to us and give that to somebody else. Aren't you glad God overlooked all your junk and said, come to me as you are? And I'll forgive you. By grace, you're saved through faith. That's the way he wants us to forgive others. God didn't say, okay, I'll forgive you when. He just said, I forgive you. 
Some of us need to take the conditions off of why, who and where and why and when we might serve another person. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Anybody can love their lovable family member or neighbor. Well, what about our enemy? What about that person that rubs you the wrong way? Stephen Brown, in a sermon on this passage, gives like five, six really great points, but three of them are, we don't know other people's thoughts, we don't know the depth of, of their sin, but we know the depth of our sin, and we don't know what God's up to. That's where we show grace to other people. There have been not many times in my life as a pastor, but several times, When people have accused me of things I didn't do, when people question my motives, and it's, there's been a couple of times where it's gotten very, very serious, and God has spoken to my heart on those times and said, Kevin, love them, serve them. Yeah, Lord, but you don't know how they made me feel. Love them, serve them. Yeah, Lord, but what they're saying about me is wrong. And I would never think that. He just says, love them, serve them. Jesus calls us to take up the towel and serve one another. Again, I'll say this again. It is not all about you. Church membership is not all about you and what you can get from the church. It is about you being a committed follower of Christ. We've said you become a church member. I think that's Rick Warren first said this. You become a, you become a, a Christian by committing your life to Christ. You become a church member when you commit your life to other Christians. Will you commit your life to one another? Will you say, no matter what, I will serve you? Maybe it needs to start with, no matter what, I will forgive you. Doesn't mean I forget. Sometimes you just can't forget, but forgiveness means I will no longer hold this over you. I will serve. 